true that in the beginning of the week, I was looking at John, First uh, John chapter three, starting in verse eleven, where it talks begins to talk about Cain. But the way I study the Bible is like a uh, spelunker, you know, someone who goes through the caves, and I just go wherever the scriptures take me, and I'm not there today. <laughs> But I will be there, Lord willing, next week. Uh, before I get into the lesson, I, I want to welcome some folks who are with us <clears throat> by the power of the Internet. We got an uh, email last week, and I think many of you read that from Bill and Cheryl Townsley. Uh, they are, uh, Cheryl's really been suffering physically, and they uh, sent an uh, email out to the congregation, and many of you received that. And they are with us each Sunday through the Internet, and we welcome you here. They take the Lord's Supper with us, and we're thankful that and hopefully that we can be an encouragement to them while, um, while Cheryl is especially having uh, some very uh, serious physical problems. Um, and we're just thankful that we're able to, to do this. I think Nathan originally set that up for us, and it's been a blessing, I know, to many people. Uh, my mother is also, I think... She tried, she's trying to be with us, but she's not with us. She tried to get on. Uh, she's up in Cincinnati, and she's not feeling too well. And so she said she was going to join us also today. And I know there's many others that do that. And if you're home and not feeling well, just hook up to the Internet and get on our website. And uh, someone can give you more detail if you need that. And you can join us each Sunday. Um, there's a saying that says uh, you can't teach old dogs new tricks. Now, if you know my grandchildren, what they call me, you'll know a little bit of a play of words here. But I believe that you can teach this old dog new tricks. Uh, I learned this past week how not to walk down attic stairs. <clears throat> do not carry boxes. Do not pretend you're 18. Um, and uh, what I ended up doing is coming down the stairs, third from the top, the box I was carrying worked against me and bumped up against the ladder and I went into the concrete floor. That's why my left, my right arm is not moving too much today. Uh, Charlie, I need to see you. <laughs> He's going to help me out. Nothing was broken. Uh, it was what an eventful week. Um, I was laying on the floor wondering if I'm permanently or temporarily damaged. My phone was in the other room. Julia had her phone in the car, and she was with grandchildren. Um, when I was able to get to the phone, I couldn't get a hold of anyone. And I thought, well, I'll just drive over to Charlie and let him check me out. He's a chiropractor. And I stood up, and I, could, I was a little dizzy, and I thought, well, maybe that's not a good idea. <laughs> Long story short, I spent a little time in the emergency room. Nothing's broken, but um, I have a sprained shoulder or something. So... Um, Anyway, I learned how much I use my right arm in sermon preparation. And I'm saying that mainly not for your sympathy, but to let you know when you come to shake my hand today, it's going to be a left-hand shake. I've already been shaking hands with people, and then you have to explain you know, why you're putting out your left hand instead of your right hand. So that's uh, what's going on with me. Uh, today we're going to be reading several passages, in the, and mainly the first half of uh, 1 John. And if you have one of those old-fashioned Bibles, you know, you, you'll probably get there quicker, than the, uh, unless you're really good with your electronic devices. But I want to look at several passages, and we'll, I'll show you why we're going to do that 
uh, in just a moment. Uh, if you were to, you know, I, I've been trying to outline First John, and I've been unsuccessful, but a, a simple, a really simple outline of First John would be this. Chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 3, verse 10, is the light. And then chapter 3, verse 11, through chapter 5, 21, the rest of the chapter, the love. And that's kind of helped me, and I'm going to show you that in just a moment in more detail. But the theme of life is predominant in that first half of the letter. As we go through the first half of First John, we see light over and over. And it's more than the word light, it's the concept of light that is there. Words like appeared, seen, manifested, all those are light-related words that are used over and over in that first half. And then you get the contrast of light, you get the word darkness. And you see this as a constant thread throughout this first half of First uh, John. Uh, in addition, the word truth is used many times. And the word truth literally is trans- can be translated that which is not hidden. You know, something that's hidden is in the dark. Something that's truth is revealed, is, is seen. And that's, this, these words are woven all throughout the first half of the letter. I want to look at First John this morning. And see how this, this important concept of light connects to us before we move on into the second half. And we'll see the, the, the application, much of the application of what we've been looking at in the first half will be in the second half. And the application is this concept of love in our lives. We can say that the first half of 1 John is based on who we are. And we've talked about this several times. Who we are. We are children of God. Who walk in the light. That's who we are. And then as we go into the second half, we'll see what we do. Uh, what we do are we are children who love one another. And there's more things there also. I've said before that John's writing is circular. He, he makes a statement and he, then he goes further and he expands on that. Uh, and, and as he expands on each concept... Not only is he expanding on them, but he's, I think he's also going backwards and, and tying, tying the whole, what he's been saying, he ties it, ties it together. Uh, we've, for instance, we've already looked at love one another. Chapter 2, uh, verse 10. We see that we are to love one another, but he really expands it. Uh, take a look at your Bible and just turn from chapter 3 on and start looking for the word love. You'll see it all through chapter 3 and 4 and 5. I mean, it's just all through there. But in chapter 2, verse 10, he gives that, that practical nature of love in our lives. And then he goes into more detail in the second half of, of the book. As I said, John's writing expands as he goes along. Uh, along but he, at the same time, he points back and reminds us what he has been saying. He, wants, he does not want us to forget what he said in chapter 1, verse 1. And so he keeps going backwards as he goes forward at the same time. He wants you to remember what he has said in the past as he, expa- uh, as he expands in the uh, further. He, it's beneficial for us to remember. What we just did, what Chad, as Chad shared with us, was a memory that went all the way back to the time of Moses in the wilderness. And he was calling us to uh, memory so that we can remember what Christ has done for us. And John does the same thing. He wants us to remember what he has said in the past. We're going to see this in several ways today as he draws together, as we draw together the first half of this book, 
using a word that he uses several times, and that word is beginning. When John uses the word beginning in this letter, he normally is talking about the beginning of your Christian walk. Now, if you go to John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 1, he says, In the beginning, and he's referring to the beginning of time, when time began, was the Word, he says, and the Word was with God. So he's talking about the beginning of time. But in chapter 1, verse 1, he's, I believe he's talking about the beginning of our Christian walk. That which was from the beginning, chapter 1, verse 1. And this is referring to the eyewitness accounts of Jesus. And we're going to read verses 1 through 3 together. He says, That which was from the beginning, which we heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. He says, we saw something. We studied this. The word there means we studied with deliberation. And what they studied wasn't a thing. It wasn't a philosophy. It wasn't a concept. But it was a person. He said, we look at a person, we study this person, and he is our testimony to you. What we're testifying to you, what we're sharing with you is a person, not a, not a religion, not a philosophy, not a theology even, but it's a person. And he describes him as the word of life. He is the word of life, the source of eternal life, the way to fellowship or, or a relationship with the followers but with the Father and with uh, one another. And so right from the beginning, and I've said this over and over, and I'm going to say it over and over, I think, he begins with a God-centered message, a Christ-centered message. That's the focus, and we see it over and over as we go through this. Every aspect of application, as he, as he brings an application and says, now this is what you do, as soon as he does that, he, he just almost immediately turns back and says, and remember why you do it. It's Jesus. And a really good example is chapter 2, verse 1, where he says, I write this so that you, what? Will not sin. All right? And what my, what my automatic response is, is to say, well, what do I need to stop doing? What do I need to start doing? I, I automatically just focus right in on myself. And he says, I have my phone up here. Excuse me. <laughs> Remind me later. It's, uh, I'm trying to turn this off. I usually mean to do that one-handed. All right. <laughs> Power off. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me. All right. Some of you's phones have rung while I preach. Yeah, I used to keep it back in the back, but I have grandchildren. didn't want them to get a hold of it and start calling them. Anyway, <laughs> chapter 2, verse 1. He goes right into don't sin, but then he says, and we have an advocate with the Father. He brings us right into that God-centered, Christ-centered focus of our lives. And this is the message. It's a God-centered message. It's a Christ-centered message. And we see that in chapter 1, verse 5, where he says, and this is the message we have heard. 
And we declare to you, here's the message. You're a sinner. It's not the message. What's the message? God is light. And in him there's no darkness at all. That's the message. That's the focus of the message. God has revealed to you. And through his light, you not only see him, but you will see yourself at the same time. That's what light does. And we're going to see this message of light in just a moment. Uh, it's, going to, it's going to tie in there. But I want to look at another word, and that word is, is the beginning. Chapter 2, verse 7. Let's read that together. Chapter 2, verse 7, he says, Dear friends, I am not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. The old command is the message you have heard. And so he says here, I'm, I'm not writing something old, but this is something you've had from the very beginning of your Christian walk. From the very beginning of your Christian walk, you have had a message. And that word message in the NIV, in my, my translation, is not the same word that we just saw in chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message. It's a whole different word. Some of your translations will say the word. And that is the correct translation. He's saying the message is the word. Who's the Word? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It's Jesus. And so here's the message. It's all about Jesus. The command is learning about Jesus. It's learning about His offer of salvation, what He did, what He did to give you the gift of life, what His teachings are, what His, His direction for you in your life is. That's the command. It's all about Jesus. Look at chapter 3, verse 13 and 14. Both... Both these verses say the same thing. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him from who is from the beginning. And then in verse 14, he repeats it. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. That word beginning is what I'm looking at. He says here, the oldest ones in the faith, what have you known? You have known him from the beginning. This is what we were taught. When you became a Christian, what were you taught? You were taught about a person, right? You were taught about a relationship with a person. If you were taught a methodology, if you were taught a philosophy, you were really taught the wrong thing. If you really want to know what to be taught, what we teach, the Bible says what we teach is Jesus. That's our focus. Now, tied up in all that is the application in our lives. I'm not saying that. But we're not talking about some philosophical way to approach God. We're talking about a person, and that person is Christ. It's a relationship with him. When you became a Christian, you, you, you established a relationship with Jesus. And that's what he's saying. From the very beginning, young and old, every person who has come to Christ has come to him knowing him. Um, over in Jeremiah's the prophecy, and in in, in Hebrews talks about the fulfillment. He says... Uh, uh, you, you have known him. Everyone from the least to the greatest will say, I know him. And that's, that's what he is saying here. We've known him from the very beginning. Go down to chapter 2, verse 24. See what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you will also remain in the Father, the Son, and, and in the Father. Now, here's an imperative. Here's the command. He says here, make sure you do this. See that you do this. Make sure that you do this. This is important. What you have heard from the beginning, 
Now, I just have shared three or four times. If you've been asleep, let me repeat it again. Because John repeats it, so we'll all wake up. He says, what you have heard from the beginning is the message of Jesus. His life, his gift of eternal life to us. Make sure that that remains in you. Make sure that this is the central and integral part of your life. Make sure this is the focus of your life. And if you do this, then that relationship with the Son, that relationship with the Father, will be reality. So many people become Christians. And they walk through life with God out there somewhere. Uh, he, 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 they kind of they come to church and they get a little bit of God. And then they leave and then I, I guess they leave God back in the building or somewhere. But they don't realize that what John is saying and what the Bible is teaching is that he's with you all the time. He remains in you, you. You remain in him. And he says, see that you do that. See that that's the focus of your life. As you walk out of here today and, and you're walking with someone, remember there's someone else with you. And this is really good to remember, as we talked about, as we dealt with sin. When I'm tempted to sin, if I remember who is with me, at that point, truly with me, that God is really with me, then that temptation to sin, you won't sin. You can't sin with God if you, if you actually realize that God is with you at this, at this point. We talked about that last week. Chapter 3, verse 8. He says, and here's a contrast at this point. He who does what is sinful is of the devil because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. And I believe this beginning is all the way back to the beginning, of course. Beginning of time. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. And even here, he contrasts the opposite. Of the devil is Jesus. The devil has been sinning from the beginning. And the Son, again he gets back to this Christ-centric message, has come to destroy that work. And then in chapter 3, verse 11, which I think is about the halfway point of the book, he says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. I thought the message was God is light. Didn't he say that in chapter 1, verse 5? Here is the, this is the message that God is light. Yes. But you know, part of that message of God being light is the application of loving each other. <laughs> Let there be light. <laughs> How does that happen? <laughs> oh, me. All right. <laughs> God is life. And the practical application is the one love one another. Let's be dismissed. <laughs> uh, you know, you cannot love one another properly unless you know who Jesus is. Love is not defined by the world. Oh, the world has a definition. But it's the wrong definition. God defines what love is. And you cannot love properly until you know the love of God. God created love. God is love. God put it in our hearts. And so if we don't understand what love is, God defined, we won't properly love. As we walk in the light, we're learning to walk in the love of God. And so that message about light is so important for us to understand this whole concept as we walk through 1 John. Let's look at the word life in 1 John. You know, life in the Bible often refers to purity or holiness. And I don't think it's excluded in 1 John. In fact, it's, it's there in 1 John, but I don't think this is the emphasis. 
chapter two, verse six is a is an example of purity. He says, uh, "Whoever claims to live in Him must walk as Jesus did." How did Jesus walk? He walked in purity. Chapter three and verse three he says, "Everyone who has this hope purifies himself, even as He is pure." So I think it, that light and, and purity and holiness is, is uh, they're, they're, key, they're they mean uh, similar things. But as I've read through John and thought about First John here, I think there's two concepts that he's really trying to bring to light as far as this word light uh, is concerned. First of all, light is life. Look at chapter 1, verse, um, verse 1. He says, we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared. And we have seen it and testified to it. We proclaim to you eternal life. And so he says the word of life, referring to Jesus, how he encompasses everything. This is what true life is about. That's something we want. We want life. What is life? Good question. God defines it. What is love? Good question. God defines that. And here he, he, he defines eternal life. Uh, look at chapter 2, verse 25. He says... And this is what he promised us. This is God's promise to us. Even eternal life. Not only quantity of life, but quality of life. You know, we understand that. The older we get, the more we understand it. Understand quality of life. Losing my use of my right arm temporarily. I can't, couldn't pick up a book. I can't hardly lift my arm right now. And so we look for that quality of life. And so when God promises eternal life, he's not saying you get to live forever. Well, that's good. But you get to live forever in him, which is quality, quality of life at the same time. Then in the second half of, of this letter, he uses the word life over and over nine additional times. And most of the time is directly attached to Jesus. We all know without life, there is no life. Without God, there's no life outside of Christ. True life is only in the light. And that's one of his emphasis here. When you're walking in the light, it's life. And it's true life. It's real life. It's eternal life. But secondly, and I think this is the, really the major emphasis, is that light has a revealing nature. And we understand that as, you know, just in life. We, you could see me better when the lights went on. You know, if you're a coin collector and you're purchasing a coin, what do you do? You might put it under a magnifying glass. That's true to examine that coin, but you're going to have light on there. So you can look for any flaws, look for any, any problems in that coin. Light reveals its true nature. You can see what's really there. And so light in John reveals the nature of God. God is light. This is the character of God. This is who God is. He is the message, as we read in chapter 1, verse 5. And John continually brings us back to God, continually brings us back to Christ, making us God-focused, Christ-focused. We want to see his nature. We want to see his reality. We want to see what he does. And we see over and over what God does for us in our lives. And so he brings to light over and over, brings, bringing out how God is, is uh, God's true nature and his character. But not only is God revealed to us, we are revealed to ourselves. And this is true all throughout First John. We see in how we're revealed a true assessment of myself. We look at ourselves and we say, ah, that's what is true. That's what is true about me. 
And so we're seeing the true nature of ourselves as we walk in the light. You know, the tendency of Christians is to live. We have the desire to live like Christ. I believe every person here who's a Christian has the desire to live like Christ. You wouldn't be here if you didn't have that desire. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. He says this, whoever claims, and we read this, whoever claims to live in him must walk as Jesus did. And when we think about that, we say, well, how did Jesus walk? Well, that's how I want to live. When we see how he interacts with people, we, we, we say to ourselves, that's what I want to do. That's how I want to be. And then in chapter 3, verse 3, which we also read, everyone who has his hope purifies himself, even as he is pure. I want to do the right thing. I want to live a pure life. I want to be like Christ. And we begin to make changes in our lives. We begin to, begin to put off some things, uh, old habits, old sins. Begin to put on new things. We see growth in our life. We're encouraged by that. But be very careful. There's a temptation, two temptations for us Christians. And the temptation is to live a hypocritical life or to live a self-deceived life. I want to explain this to you. The reason is that sin grieves me and it grieves you. When I see sin in my life, I, I say, I don't want that. I want to live righteously. And either we have to, when sin comes into our lives, we have to either pretend it's not sin or pretend we don't sin. And when we pretend we don't sin, that's hypocrisy. And when we pretend it's not sin, we're just making excuses. Well, that's, that's weakness. That's the human condition. That's the way I was raised. We, we, we say things like that. And we do this because when I see sin in my life, what is my automatic tendency to focus on me? What do I need to do to change? And that does no one any good. We become a deterrent to those who are seeking God. Someone really wants to find out about God and they, they meet you. And you're a nice person. You're, you're interesting. There's something about you that's different. They see your life, but then they see some hypocrisy in your life. And that turns them off. Well, they just think they're better than everyone else. I know they're not. Or they see you making excuses in your life. Or when you do make an excuse in your life, and say, you know, my impatience is just the way I was raised. That's just the way I was raised. I'm not going to change that if that's my excuse. My greediness, my, you know, we, I listed a whole bunch of sins a couple of weeks ago. All those things, if we start making excuses about them, we won't change in our lives. We, we won't purify, uh, purify ourselves because we'll be blind to those sins. Walking in the light, the revealing nature of it, and this is, if you listen to this, this is so freeing. This will free you as a Christian. Walking in the light is being honest. It's just being honest with myself and being honest with others. It's recognizing, yes, I have sinned in my life. Darkness. <laughs> Get a little crazy. Who's playing with the light? It's, it's, it's really being honest. 
You know, when I work with people, I try and tell them right from the beginning, I'm just, I'm just a regular person. One of, the, one of the greatest deterrents to a preacher is having that title. <laughs> because people think that you're better than any, or either you're some way more special. Some people think this. You're, I know you don't, but some people think you're more special than other people. You're the preacher. You're holier. Um, you know more. You're, you're closer to God. All that stuff. And I try and let people know I struggle with the same struggles that all humans have. It's just my struggles are unique to me and your struggles are unique to you. When I, when I share with you and talk with you, I'm not saying I'm better than you. I'm not saying I know I've, I've overcome sin in a greater way than you have. I'm saying I struggle with that as you struggle with it. But I recognize this, and here's the good news. That in Christ, Christ's focus, chapter 1, verse 7, as I walk in the light, as he is in the light, yeah, we have fellowship with one another. And guess what? The blood of Jesus, here's my advantage over you. If you're not a Christian, my advantage over you is this. The blood of Jesus purifies me of all sin. And it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with him. That's the good news. The good news is I am a sinner who continues to struggle with sin, but I've been purified. I've been cleansed. And I'm continually cleansed. And I want you to know this. You're not a Christian. You can have the same thing. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to do anything special. You don't have to go and get a theology degree. You don't even have to know much Bible. You know how much Bible you need to know? This is all you need to know. Jesus died for me. I come to him in faith. I'm baptized, you know, wash away my sins. Of course, repentance is involved there. I'm turning away from my life, and I walk in the light. And walking in the light is just recognizing God cleanses me. God cleanses me. And that recognition doesn't encourage me to sin. It encourages me not to sin because I see it for what it is. I see it as sin. I don't make excuses anymore. I don't sit there and say, you know, I look at this in, 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 my, in, in this particular area. It's not my fault. Yes, it is my fault. Because I, I felt the temptation. And God said, I'm going to give you a way out every time. I'm going to give you a way out. And I didn't take the way out. And guess what? And Jesus still forgave me. Isn't that amazing? He gave me a way out and I didn't take it. And I fell into sin. I did what I shouldn't do. And what did Jesus do? Purified me from my, my sin. What an ingrate I am. And so I go back and say, you know, Lord, I know you forgive me. Thank you. And let's go on again. You do it again. And you work and you know that God continually purifies you. And you see that and clearly that sin in your life. And you, you purify yourself. Say, no, I don't want that. I don't want that. Over and over. Because you see it for what it is. You're not making excuses. We know that Jesus came to take away our sins. It wasn't us. Look at chapter 3, verse 5. 3, verse 5. But you know, you know this, that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. Not us. And in him there is no sin. And so in verse 6, we remain in him. No one who, keep, who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who remains in him, who abides in him, keeps on sinning. No one can, who continues to sin has either seen him or known. When I know him, when I've seen him, I don't continue in my sin. I don't want to do that. 
And then in verse 9, we see this is the growing uh, process. No one who is born of God will continue to sin because God's seed remains in him. There's something about life, God's life in me, that keeps calling me back. Don't do that. Don't do that. Quit. You made that mistake before. Stop it. And that's God's seed in me, God's life in me, calling me not to sin. I can't continue to sin. I can't go on sinning. I learn how not to sin. And that's what walking in the light is. When I truly see my sin, my human condition, and I truly rely on him and in faith allow him to continue to purify me, I grow up. I start learning how not to sin. I start making changes. And I'm not holier than you. I'm as holy as you, if you're a Christian. We're holy in God's sight. But as I, as I am purified, as I grow in my faith, as I mature, I can help you. And we can work on this together. Here's what light ultimately reveals. I cannot live. I cannot have true life. I cannot have true living without God. I can exist without God temporarily. But all I am is existing. A person in darkness, and that's the contrast that John uses. You can say he's a person looking in the wrong mirror. James chapter 1 talks about you know, looking into a mirror, and then you leave and you forget what you, you look like. And then he says, but the person who looks into the perfect law, and I think he's saying when you're looking into God's word, and you're listening to what God word, God's word says about you, then you're going to live right. What we do, we look into the Word and we say, uh, for this, for an example, God's, God, uh, the blood of Jesus has purified me from all sin. I look at that and then I walk out here and I live like that's not true. He says the person who looks into that and believes it and then lives like that, that person is going to be blessed. The lesson is this. Light shows me up for who I really am. I'm a person in need of God for everything. I need God for my physical life. I learned that, you know, there's about a second, half a second fall. I don't know how far the time. I didn't have a stopwatch. Falling off attic stairs backwards, there's about a second that you sit there and go, is this the end? <laughs> and it could have been. You could have had my funeral yesterday if I would have hit my head. Instead of my elbow and shoulder. You know, life, boom, could be over just like that. It could have. Uh, if I would have hit something and cut something and knocked myself out, sure, I could have bled to death. Nobody was at home for hours. Could have been over. Realize that our physical life is dependent on God. Love, that's dependent on God. True love, God's love, spiritual life, spiritual love, physical life, physical love. That's all dependent on God. And we as Christians learn to live or to walk in the light. We don't pretend. We know that our worth is created by the one who is worthy. And then God says, then you will be light. Because God makes us that way. We see who we are. We see who we were and who we now are. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 says this. For you were once darkness. Not you were once walking in darkness. Paul uses a little different terminology. 
You were once darkness. That's what you were. But now you are light in the Lord. That's who you are. Because God said it. You know, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about the spiritual reality and the physical reality. And this, this helped me a little. Maybe it will help you. Our job, my job, is to get my physical reality in sync with my spiritual reality. God said here, you are light. In the Lord, you are light. What did he say right after that in, in Ephesians 5, verse 8? He says, you are light in the Lord. That's a spiritual truth. Then he says, live. As children of light. You see, that's the spiritual reality. You are light. So, here's the physical thing that you've got to do. You have to learn to live that way. And then he explains it. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. I love this part. This is one of my favorite little phrases. And find out what pleases the Lord. You see, I'm, I'm getting my physical reality in tune with my spiritual reality. And sometimes they're out of alignment. God said, you are light. So then I start learning how to live as light. And what does that have to do? It has to do with goodness, all goodness, all righteousness, all truth. And so I have to find out what that is. Find out what pleases the Lord. What pleases the Lord in this situation? Get my life into alignment with his. Spiritually speaking, God said, you are holy. I'm not going to go to the passages. So physically, be holy. Be holy in your actions and your attitudes because you are holy. You are worthy. You are sinless in Christ. You are pure. You are perfect. Did you know that? You're perfect. Spiritually speaking, all those are true. And so I learned to get my physical life in tune with my spiritual reality. So I learned how to be worthy, live worthy, live sinless, live pure, live perfect in a physical way. The spiritual is what God has declared as true. This is true, God said. And the physical is why I declare as true. Am I out of alignment with God's spiritual reality? God has declared something that's true in my life, and I must declare that true in the way I live my life. Philippians chapter 3, verse 16 says this, Live up to what you've already attained. Isn't that neat? You've already attained something. You've attained salvation. Live up to it. You've, you've obtained perfection in Christ. Live up to it. You've, you've attained being worthy in Christ. Live up to it. My work is to put into alignment the truth of God's word and the truth of my life. And until I do, I'll feel out of alignment. In most of my walk, I feel a little bit out of alignment. Sometimes I feel a lot out of alignment. Charlie's a chiropractor. He knows what it means to put someone back into alignment. And we don't stay in alignment, do we? You've got you to keep going back to Charlie over and over and over again. You've got to be put back into alignment. And that's true. And he's got business cards he can hand out. Ten percent, bud. Ten percent. You know, I'll feel out of alignment in my spiritual walk until I... Until I get my, my life into alignment with Him. And my first step in doing that is to recognize who I actually am in Christ. I am sin-free. I have been purified. And then that maturity, that process, 
Learning to walk in the Lord, learning to walk in the light, brings me daily into a closer alignment, a closer walk with God, and what God has already declared me to be. You know, the rest of this letter is going to focus on love. And that's just another way to say he's going to focus us in how to live in the life, to how, to how to live in alignment with God. As I said, if you're outside of Christ, no pretense. We're not any better than you. The only thing is we've got a better deal than you right now. And it wasn't given to us because of what we earned or merited. It's given, given to us because of what Christ did for us on the cross. And it's free to every single person. If you're outside of Christ, all you have to do is come in faith and say, you know, I believe that he died for me. He died for me. He put himself in that cross. He was the perfect son of God, put himself in my place. And I want to turn from this awful life I've been living. And I want to turn to him. And he asked me to be immersed in water for whatever reason. He said to wash away your sins. Okay. If that's what you want. That's what I'll do. That's all faith is. And then you walk in the light with the rest of us. Learn to be pure, live in that pure light of God, growing in Him, being continually pure, purified from all your sins. And what confidence, John's going to talk about that too, what confidence we can have as we stand before you. If we can help you, our elders will come forward as we stand and sing this song.